At the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he gives a clear directive to his disciples, both then and now, a, a distinctive calling to his church. And you may have heard it referred to as the Great Commission. It's found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. And here's what Jesus declared after his resurrection and before his ascension. He came to them, his disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And in light of that, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's pretty clear from this statement what Christ's expectation is for us as his followers. We are to be a people who make disciples. We are to be a people who help other, other people know about Jesus and help those who know Jesus to become more like him. As a people, we must be committed to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And we must also be committed to building up one another into his likeness. And listen, we recognize that there are internal issues that will always be at play in the church that we have to address. We are, of course, a gathering of broken people, and we will never walk in perfection. But we must also remember that any internal work that we are about, and any internal work that God is continuing to do among us has attached to it an external purpose. There is a reason why God has formed us. There is a reason why God has called us together, and there is a reason why God has left us here in between his first and second coming. And friends, church family, we cannot lose sight of that ultimate purpose. In our passage today, as Paul is finishing up his letter to the church in Colossae, he helps us understand as a people how to maintain this delicate balance having addressed everything he has felt needed to address in the church, he now seeks to turn the church's attention outward to remind them of why it's important that they keep their eyes on Jesus, to remind them why it's important that they remain unified, to remind them why it's important to reject false teaching and false teachers, to remind them why it's important that they live lives dedicated to Jesus Christ every moment of every day because there are still those who do not know what God has done for them in Christ. All the work to help them grow in unity, all the work to help them grow as a people into the image of Jesus has gospel purpose attached to it. We grow as the people of God in order to be a valuable witness for the kingdom of God. This is the heart of the Great Commission. And this is what is required of us as a Great Commission people. If we are to be faithful to God's calling, we must see the need and believe and heed the call. We must be fully entrusted to the work that God has given to us. And this is a challenge that we must continually face as a church, especially 
an established church. It's very easy because of all that we have going on here and the, the many number of people that God has allowed to be, become part of this body, it's very easy for us to turn our focus inward only. To, to be consumed by ourselves and thus consume ourselves. But friends, we can never allow the internal work that God continues to do and must do to outweigh the responsibility that we have for those who do not yet know Christ. They must go hand in hand. We must recognize that whatever God is doing in us is meant to push out beyond us to a lost and dying world. We must continually embrace and re-embrace the work, the great commission that Christ has handed to us. Today, we want to learn from Paul's example. We want to see how he maneuvers the church in Colossae, having addressed the issues in the church, now to begin thinking about the way God wants to use them for his kingdom purposes and learn ourselves. Learn what we are continually called to be as a people and what we are continually called to give ourselves to as a people. Paul does not ignore the realities of disciple-making within the church. He does not ignore the responsibility we have to protect the church. He just reminds us this morning of why it's so important that we do this. And then he says, with that in mind, that, that great commission in mind, here's how you as a church can engage alongside me in seeing this great commission fulfilled. If you believe that this work has been entrusted not just to me but to us, and if you believe that we are to continue to be about this work until Christ returns, here's how you as a people can join me to see the fruit of the work that God has birthed within you used for the advancement of the kingdom. Join me in being prayerful. Join me in being intentional. Join me in being gracious. And under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, let's see this great commission be fulfilled. As a church, friends, we must be a prayerful, intentional, gracious people committed to the great commission entrusted to us. Let's see how Paul challenges us in this way. Chapter 4, verses 2 through 6 of the book of Colossians. Here's what the Word of God says. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on which, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, every time I read this passage, and any passage really where Paul is describing his intention and desire to minister to the lost, I'm always moved and challenged to consider in my own life and my own heart about my individual embracing, embracing of the Great Commission. Am I as committed to seeing the kingdom of God grow? Am I as committed to seeing the gospel advance like Paul was? Paul was driven by desire 
to see those who had not yet heard the good news of Christ come to saving, to saving faith and trust in him. And here's what's more. Paul believed that God was still about this business. God, God was still saving the lost. Paul believed that if he was faithful to go and declare the gospel, that God was still going to be faithful to rescue people from their sin, to, to move them from death into life, to transition them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And because of that commitment and that trust and the continued work of God, look at how God used Paul to reach new places and, and plant new churches and see new people come to saving faith. And he's saying to the, the church in Colossae, come join me. Come be a part of this work because God wants to use you as well. He wants to... to See the work that he has sowed into you, used for his kingdom purposes. And so come alongside me, engage with me in this work by being prayerful, by being intentional, by being gracious. Here's how you can be about the Great Commission. Here's how you can join me in the Great Commission as a people. Be prayerful, be intentional, be gracious. And let's consider why these characteristics are so important for us to embrace as a people in order to see this work entrusted to us be carried to completion. First, in order to be engaged in the Great Commission, in order to be a part of this work, we need to be a prayerful people because this work is ultimately God's work. I hope in our first four months together, and my new role here as your pastor, I hope that you've come to realize that I want us to be a people of prayer. That I want us to grow in our commitment to dependence upon God, to declare our dependence upon God, because we recognize that anything of significance that this church will be a part of, any, any work of spiritual significance that we will see God do in and through us will ultimately be his doing. There's nothing that we can do on our own to advance the kingdom. There's nothing that we can do on our own to see lost people saved. None of us in this room have the ability to, to call out someone's name and speak life into them where there was death. That is entirely a work of God. And we need to recognize that, that we have been tasked with something that can only be accomplished if God shows up and moves within us and through us. It is for his glory after all. And if it's for his glory, it must be his work. But here's the beautiful thing about what God does. It's his work, but he does it through us. And his expectation is that we would acknowledge that dependence and ask him to do what only he can do. And Paul says we're, we're to pray in three specific ways with the great commission in mind. Here's how we are to pray and express our dependence. Firstly, we should pray steadfastly. Secondly, we should pray watchfully. And third, we should pray thankfully. All of these outlined there in verse two. We as a people are called to pray steadfastly. You may remember later in the Bible, in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says that as a people, we should be a people who pray without ceasing. Because we recognize 
the need for God in every part of the Christian life, and most especially in the work of evangelism. Friends, do you feel the weight of what God has entrusted to us as his church? To make disciples of all nations, to see his glory be declared and spread through every corner of creation. Do we feel that weight? Do we feel that responsibility in a good way? I don't want to overwhelm you with statistics today, but I do just want to make you aware of the expanse of this work. According to the Joshua Project, there are about 7.84 billion people in the world today. Think about that. Almost 8 billion people are alive today on planet Earth. And of those almost 8 billion people, over 3 billion are unreached, meaning they have less than 2% believers in their people group. 1.6 billion of those are unengaged. We don't, we don't know of any gospel witness present among them. Think about that. 1.6 billion people upon the earth whom God created and whom he loves who have no current access that we know about to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does that break your heart? Does that move you? Does it in any way stir you because of what you know to be true? Sometimes those numbers are so overwhelming to us that they don't make a mark. I don't want you to miss the burden here. I don't, Ask the Holy Spirit to help you as much as you can. Grasp the reality of billions of people who do not know Jesus. And why that should be concerning. Because we believe in a place called heaven. And we believe in a place called hell. And we believe that every single person who lives will spend an eternity in one of those places. And where you spend your eternity has everything to do with what you do with Christ. And we want people to know the opportunity they have to be in right relationship with God through the work of Christ. Are you praying steadfastly for God to use us to reach those people who have not heard? And not just around the world, but right here in Raleigh. Right under 500,000 people live in the city of Raleigh. About 1.4 million people live in the greater Raleigh metro area, Wake County, etc. And you all know that a majority of them do not know Christ. Are we burdened for that? Are we, are we asking God to use us, to work in us, to spread his gospel? Feel the weight of that, but don't let it weigh you down to the point where you are immovable. Let it affect you and sit on your shoulders to the point where it drives you to your knees. Because friends, it is true, this work is big. It is bigger than any of us individually can do. It's bigger than any of us together to do. But hear me this morning, this work is not bigger than our God. He can do what we cannot do. Let's ask him to do that in prayer. Let's allow our hearts to be pricked with compassion and love with the gospel. Pray steadfastly, and then he says, pray watchfully. What does that mean, pray watchfully? I want to think about it in two categories. 
when we pray, and we're praying all the time because we know the way to the work and we know that God is working or desires to work, what we're praying for is where is God at work? That's watchfully. I want to see where he's at work. I'm trusting that God is working. And secondly, I'm also trusting that God is coming. I'm praying watchfully, trusting that God is working and that God is coming. We pray steadfastly in dependence. We pray watchfully in hope. Because we know God's expressed desire in Scripture that none should perish and that all should reach repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God is moving all around us. Isn't he at work? He's at work all around us, advancing his kingdom, building his church. What we need to be asking is, God, where are you working and how can I be a part of it? How can you use me? to be a part of that work because I know there is coming a day when you will return and time will be over. The opportunity will be lost. So how can you use me in this moment to join in your work to take with me as many people as possible into that great reality that you have prepared for those who are your children? I remember some years ago, I got to go down with some friends of mine that I worked with at Champion Forest Baptist Church in Houston to Sao Paulo, Brazil. And we were thinking about joining some activity down there, some mission activity, and we were trying to see exactly where God would have us partner. And so we drove around all day for a couple of days, meeting with mission organizations, meeting with churches, and we were really tired. And so my friends Leslie Owen and I were sitting at the hotel that night and we were eating dinner. And I looked over across the the eating room there in this hotel, the dining room, and there was a guy who looked like us, who didn't look like he was from Brazil, and he was eating by himself. And I just had this overwhelming sense that I needed to go and ask him to come eat with us. And so I told him, I was like, hey guys, I'm gonna go ask this guy to eat with us. I don't know if he will or not, but I just feel compelled to go do that, and so I did. So he came and sat with us. Turns out he was from London, He was there on business. He was in the oil and gas industry, and he was in Sao Paulo. And, uh, man, we just began talking about his life. And he obviously asked why we were there, and we told him why. And he just began to unfold for us his history in the church and and why he had left the church. And we were able to sow some incredible gospel seeds that night. He didn't pray to receive Christ at that table, but I just believe that God used that moment to remind him, to remind this young man that God was thinking of him and had expressed love for him in Christ. And I'm praying that at some point since that conversation, he's been led to a place of repentance and belief. And I was thinking about my own life this past week, how I was so blessed by that moment and how many opportunities I failed to capitalize on because I haven't been watching for them. Are we, are we being watchful? sensitive, praying in such a way, God, I know you're working. I know this is your heart. Is there someone around me that I know that I'm seeing that that you want me to be an instrument of the gospel that you want me to share with because I want them to know what you have done for me so that you can do it for me, for them, friends, We want to keep our eyes on heavenly things and heavenly work so that we can be properly devoted to it. Are we praying watchfully? 
Are we asking God to keep our eyes on him? Can participate in it. And we are to pray thankfully. Thankfully. Can't think of a more appropriate thing for us to consider on this week than thanksgiving. We should pray thankfully that he has saved us. There's no more driving impetus to the Great Commission than to remember where we were when God found us and where we are today, right? Because none of us in this room deserve to be saved. None of us in this room deserve the loving kindness of God, but he has given it to us anyway. He is abundant in mercy. He is glorious in his grace. And friends, if we didn't deserve it, shouldn't that drive us to want to honor God with the gift that he has given to us by helping those around us know what's available to them. And let's be thankful also that just like with us, God is still in the business of rescuing the lost, that he is not finished yet. And can you imagine what God would do with the people who are that committed to prayer? Can you imagine how he would show himself faithful to us as his people and show himself glorious in our area as he calls people to himself? I was reading a sermon earlier this week from one of my favorite pastors, John Piper, on this particular passage. And he told a story told to him about a Scottish preacher named Duncan Campbell who was active in the 1950s and 60s in the Herbides or Hebrides Islands on the outside of of Scotland. And he told this story. On the Monday after Easter in 1952, Duncan was seated on a platform after speaking to the Faith Mission Convention in Bangor, Northern Ireland, Ireland. And when he sensed, suddenly he sensed the inner voice of the Lord speaking to him, saying, burn array, burn array. And burn array is an island in the Hebrides. Duncan bowed his head and prayed silently. Again came the name burn array. He prayed on. The name came a third time. So Campbell turned to the chairman of this revival and whispered to him, brother, you're going to have to excuse me. The Holy Spirit has just called me to burn array. And the chairman objected, but you're the speaker for tomorrow. (laughs) And he said, I'm sorry, the Lord will provide here, but he has clearly called me to go to Burnaray, so I have to go. So he left, he went to his suitcase, his hotel, he got a suitcase, he uh, contacted the airport, there was no flight directly to there, so he went to the nearest island possible. And he made sure to tell everybody who listened to this story that he had never been to Burnaray, he had never met anybody from Burnaray, he had never received any letter from someone from Burnaray. So he went. He got to this island, he went down to the shore and asked a fisherman there, how does one get to Burnaray? And he says, well, the only way you get to Burnaray is by boat. He said, well, can you take me? He says, I'll take you for this amount of money. And it just so happened, it was almost the exact, exact amount of money that he had in his pocket. So the fisherman takes him across to Burnaray's shore, the The pastor, Duncan Campbell, walks to the top of this bluff and finds a farmer plowing his field. He goes to him and says, go to the nearest pastor and tell him that Duncan Campbell has arrived. And the man said, well, we don't have a pastor here on the island. 
And Duncan said, well, do you have any elders in your church? And he says, yes, we have an elder. Go to the nearest elder and tell him that Duncan Campbell has arrived. And so the, the farmer looked confused at first, but he did. And a short time later, he returned. And he says to Duncan Campbell, the elder was expecting you. He has a place ready for you. He's already announced meetings to begin tonight at nine o'clock. Because while Campbell had been ministering in the convention at Bangor three days earlier, this elder had spent the day praying in his barn for God to send revival to his island. And God gave him the promise of Hosea 14:5, I will be as the dew unto Israel. He claimed it in faith. His wife heard his, her husband praying in the barn, Lord, I don't know where he is, but you know, and with you all things are possible. You send him to the island. He knew in his heart that God was going to send Duncan Campbell who he had heard had been a part in a mighty revival in other parts of Scotland, asking God to bring him now to Burnaray. He was so sure that God would send Duncan Campbell to Burnaray that he made all the arrangements to use the local church and had already announced the services. And this faithful witness who was telling the story goes on to say that great revival came to the island of Burnaray and a great door for the word was opened that no man could shut because it was God that opened it. He draws out this lesson. When God has people who prevail in prayer and people who know how to recognize the voice of the Spirit and obey without question, there is no limit to what God can do. Friends, do you believe that God wants to move in us like this? Do you still believe? I don't believe God's finished with Bayleaf Baptist Church yet. Do you believe he wants to use this body of believers? Do you believe he wants to use this church in a similar way to reach people who do not yet know him? And will we be a people committed to prayer, committed to being watchful and thankful, steadfastly asking God to do more than, than we and ourselves can do? A great commission church will be committed to that kind of prayer. Secondly, Paul says, in order to be engaged in the great commission, we need to be intentional. We need to be intentional. We must be dependent and we must be active. We are instruments of God's peace. We are instruments of gospel declaration. And while we are dependent upon God, we are likewise called to action action within God's spirit-empowered provision. Look at verses 3 and 4 again of our text. At the same time, so continue in prayer, at the same time, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Friends, we recognize, you're not going to get any argument from me, that God is the one who opens the door. God is the one who saves, and we need to pray to that end. And when he opens the door, we have to be faithful to walk through it. We, as a people, have to be faithful to speak the gospel. We, this is not just Paul's calling, it's all of our calling. This has been entrusted to all of us. We are called to declare the mystery of Christ. Now, in our study of the book of Colossians, we've talked a great deal about behavior. 
and how our actions matter in the Christian life. We've talked about the responsibility to put on Christ, put on the characteristics of Christ, and put off those things that do not look like Jesus. Because as we put on Christ, we become a shining light in a very dark world. But we should also note, and this is an important note, that our behavior is only part of the work. Because as people notice our difference, as people notice the way that we treat each other differently among this body, as people notice the way that we treat each other differently in our homes, as people notice that we live under the peace of Christ and the word of Christ dwells within us and they begin to ask, why are you this way? Why are you different? How, how is it that you can forgive? How is it that you can show so much grace? How, how can you have a marriage like that? How can you have a family unit like that? We need to be ready. And the moment they ask that question to give a gospel answer, that the only reason this is true in my life is because the grace of the grace of God shown to me in Jesus. We must be, bring clarity through gospel witness. Some of you have probably heard this quote before often attributed to Francis of Assisi, but I can't tell if he ever actually said it. Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Have you heard that? And listen, I get the sentiment of it that, again, gospel fruit should show up in our lives and that our words need to be matched with action, right? That if transformation takes place, we should look like we are transformed. But let me also say, Words are always necessary. Words are always necessary. We must speak the reason why the gospel has affected us in such a way. There must come a point in all of our evangelistic encounters when we actually express the work of Christ because that is what God uses to quicken the spirit of those he is calling to himself. They need to hear the name of Jesus. They need to know that he died for them. They need to know that he took our wrath, or God's wrath, that was for us upon himself, so that we, who were children of wrath, could now be called children of God. They need to know that It's because you're not in right relationship with God that there's all of this brokenness in your life. And the only way you can get in right relationship with God is through Jesus. And that's how what you see in me can show up in you. According to verse four, we are to make it clear. Clear. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is so important to me. Because we've seen denominations, we've seen churches lost to what's often been called the social gospel, where they become so focused on good works that they begin to forget the need for gospel proclamation. And let me just say clearly, I am in no way saying that good works are not needed. Of course they are. Look to Jesus. He helped people all the time, didn't he? He healed them. He fed them. He cared for them, but he always did it with the purpose of teaching the things of God. His actions were always, always, always 
accompanied by gospel clarifying words. And we must follow the example of Jesus. Otherwise, friends, how have we actually helped them? How have we actually helped them? We've given temporary comfort in the face of an eternity of separation and suffering. Let's let the temporary comfort lead to the God of all comfort. And let's tell them how they can have access to this God of all comfort. When God opens a door, let's be intentional to speak that good news. Finally, in order to be engaged in the Great Commission, Paul says we need to be gracious. When God opens the door and we walk through it and we share this good news, we are called to be gracious. Friends, what we share is of the utmost importance. How we share it is also really, really, really important. Maybe now, more than ever, graciousness has become a lost art in our culture, hasn't it? In our society, it seems callousness, vindictiveness, viciousness are core values. And you're not really arguing for your truth unless you get mean about it. But we must not let the the speech of our culture affect us as the church because the world is watching. Earlier this week, I was reminded of a sermon that Matt Chandler, another faithful pastor in North America, was giving to a church in Colorado. And he said there was a time where Christians, in order to get a voice with lost people, had to have all kinds of answers to difficult questions because they would start peppering you about the Trinity and evil and where do belly buttons come from. And you had to be ready to give an answer. But he said in this day and age... The bar to get an audience for Christians has gone much lower. These days, all it takes is being nice. All it takes is being kind to show people there's something different within you. And the kindness and niceness that we show pricks the people around us, their ears. Because it's so uncommon in our culture. How is it that you can speak with someone you disagree with in this way? That's not common. How is it that you can talk to me with graciousness when I don't believe what you believe? Friends, do we love people, even that disagree with us, in a way that causes us to approach them with kindness? We speak the truth in love. And that matters. If we want them to know a God of love. If we want them to know a God of compassion and mercy and grace, don't you think our words, our language should be filled with love and grace and mercy? Listen, the gospel is divisive. There are people that Jesus fed that when he began speaking about the kingdom, turned and left him. That's going to happen. Let's not make our words part of that equation. Let's not let our language or our tongue be something that God has to overcome to draw people to himself. Let's let our language, our words, be seasoned with salt so that it it adds to the compelling story of the gospel. 
And when, friends, we engage the Great Commission in this way, when we commit ourselves as a people to being prayerful, to being intentional, to being gracious, God can do surprising things. The history of the church is filled with him doing surprising things through people who are committed to the gospel. Can I give you one more story? Several years ago, I had the privilege of going to the UK for the first time, and I went to a city in northern England called Darlington. And we had been sent there to partner with a, an older, established church that was actively dying. They probably had 30, 40 people on a Sunday, and they were not reaching any young people. And they said, hey, can you bring a group of young people and help us engage the many university students who are in the city? And so we came with that intention. Even before we went, we started praying that God would use us to begin some conversations and, and that people would come to know Christ. And so we decided what we were gonna do is use what we do best to help reach the people there. And so we played Ultimate Frisbee, which a game I love. And so we went out on the fields in front of the universities there, just started playing Ultimate Frisbee and started having conversations with people and inviting them to pray with us or to, to play with us and then to pray with us, but to play with us first. And we began having conversations, meeting people, inviting them, and then we invited them to a second meeting in a coffee shop on Thursday night. Hey, come hang out with us. We'll buy you coffee, and we'll talk about spiritual things. And to our surprise, like 15 to 20 people who we were playing Frisbee with showed up at the coffee shop. I guess they like free coffee. And we had some incredible, spirit-filled gospel conversations that night. And then we invited them on Sunday night to come and join us for a baptismal service thinking and hoping and praying that the witness of someone who was buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life would be used to draw some of these young people into relationship with Jesus. And so we left that Thursday night, began praying that they would come back, and Sunday night came. As we were, pray- we were preparing, we were praying, and the service was about to start, and there was nobody in the room. Some of the church people showed up, so we had like 20 to 30 people from the church And we had our mission team of like 15 people, but nobody from the coffee house was there. Nobody that we had played Frisbee with was there. And we were all disappointed. We were all discouraged. But we said, listen, we got a baptismal service tonight. We're gonna honor the Lord. We're gonna worship the Lord. Let's get started. And it was like a movie. Because as soon as we started the service, the back door opened and people just started coming in. One after the other. To where not only did we have the 20 people who showed up at the coffee shop, we had... 20 or 30 more that came with them. 30 or 40 people who had never stepped foot inside the church came into this church, saw the picture of baptism, and then engaged with us in spiritual conversations. There was an older man who came with these, these young people. Apparently he hung out in a park, in the park with them a lot, and was kind of a, a father figure for them, a spiritual father figure for them, but he had abandoned their Christian faith long ago. He had went to seminary, but just gave it up and now was embracing paganism. And he asked us, why should we embrace Christianity and not paganism as our religion? I was able to, to with grace, answer him because the gospel is true. It's true. This This is what God has done for us. We should embrace it because it's true. 
And even after that night, one of our guys who came with us went back to Darlington and spent a year in ministry there, fostering and building the community that we had, that God had brought together even after a week of mission activity. And I think back today, on that day, about how we were disappointed and disillusioned at first, and then God did something even greater that we could have imagined because we gave ourselves to him, and he did the work that only he could do. I just think about this church. I just think about the gospel need in our area. And I just think, what would happen if we as a people would get on our knees? What would happen if we would steadfastly, watchfully, thankfully pray for God to do something extraordinary? What would happen if we asked God to open doors and when he opened doors, we were ready to give an answer? We were ready to to speak. But I don't even know what to speak. Listen, if we're asking God to work, everybody in this room knows there have been times when we step out in faith and God gives us words that we had no business even speaking. And he can use even our fumbles to do something extraordinary. Do we believe that God's sufficiency is greater than our insufficiency? Yes. He can do it. He can do more than we can do on our own. If we just believe that when God opened the door and we walked through it in grace, that God would build his kingdom through this body. Can you imagine how revival, how new life would come to this city and this area. I'm praying God would get a hold of my heart more. I'm praying God would get a hold of our heart. Let's not get lost in the work that happens within this church. There's important work to do within the church as we sharpen one another and build each other into the image of Christ. But let's remember all this internal work has external purpose. To be lights, to a dark world, to be a a shining city upon a hill, to offer salt to a world that needs some flavor. Amen? May it begin with us. Let me just challenge you this week. I'm thinking about Thanksgiving. This week, many of us in this room are gonna be around tables with people that we don't know where they stand before the Lord. Many of us are going to be around tables with people that we don't know if they're followers of Jesus. But could we pray even now that God would allow us an opportunity to express what we are ultimately thankful for? And that he would use that proclamation of of faith and gratitude around a, a kitchen table on Thanksgiving Day to bring people to saving faith in Jesus? Do you believe God can do that? I do. I'm praying that next week we would rejoice. Don't get distracted, enemy. I'm just, listen, I'm just asking, can can we pray in such a way that we would come anticipating next week, rejoicing because of many people coming to faith in Christ because of gospel conversations that we have around dinner tables this week? I'm praying you would think that way about Thanksgiving. Not just the food you're going to eat, not just the football you're going to watch, not just the nap you're going to take, 
that you would approach that day with gospel conscientiousness, with gospel ears and gospel eyes. God, are you at work today? Is there somebody here I need to have a conversation with at work, at life, my dinner table? Open a door and give me the courage and boldness to walk through it when you do. And I'm gonna try with every breath and fiber of my being to do it with grace, overcome my insufficiency with your sufficiency and trust the results to you because you're the one who saves. I think something special could happen if we'd be faithful. Wherever you are, would you bow your head? Ask the Lord to help you know how to respond to the message today. Help us as a people know how to respond to the message today. Let me first ask you this question. Do you know Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you repented and believed in him to salvation? Maybe this morning you are living in brokenness. Maybe this morning you are living in hopelessness. And friend, let me just tell you, that won't come to an end until you step into a relationship with Christ. And the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. And we desire that for you. For the rest of us, are we committed to the Great Commission? Bayleaf Baptist Church, are we committed to the Great Commission? Now listen, I don't want you to sit in condemnation today if you've not been actively sharing your faith or not thinking in this way. I don't do it as often as I should. But I do want us all to feel conviction. I want us to feel the right kind of prompting to stir in us a greater commitment to the task that God has given to us, a love for those who do not yet know Jesus, and a desire to share with them how God has transformed us in Christ. And would we commit to be a people of prayer? steadfast, watchful, thankful. Would we be intentional when God opens doors to walk through them? And would we be gracious in how we speak? Asking God to do what only he can do, but chooses to do through us. Father, would you open up the heavens? Would you bring blessing to this area through the faithfulness of this people. God, we pray that you would save, that you would continue to do the work of salvation here in Raleigh and to the ends of the earth. And we pray that you would use us because it is our joy to serve you as your people. Help us not to forget that all the work you've done in us is meant to go from us into a lost and dying world. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website, bayleaf.org.